Welcome to Millions of Screens. I'm creator producer Leo Garcia, joined as always via Zoom by a TV deputy editor Ben Travers and TV awards editor Libby Hill. Today, we got a pretty stacked deck, guys. We're going to open up with the meat of our podcast, the Oscars, which were this past Sunday. Ben, you wrote a uh, not so glowing review, but I think it won't surprise many listeners that Libby and I are mostly in agreement with you on all of your points. We'll also be talking Falcon and Winter Soldier finale, wrapping it up, and then... I'm just going to talk about how much I love Mayor of Easttown. I know you guys have seen five. Are you, are you, have you guys seen all of them yet? Or no, still five? No, we've only seen five. You guys have seen five, but I've seen two. I'm with the people. I watch with the people. And <laughs> watch with the people. <laughs> I've only seen two. Can we just backtrack for a second? And we don't actually have to talk about the points, but can we just talk about how uh, you uh, you agreed with me? Like you both agree with me? Like can we spend a little time on that? Like that seems fresh. I feel I like, like that's that. a kind of an overstatement on my part, but oh, I didn't don't, disagree. Don't with speak you. for Libby. There. It is a millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Skipping ahead to the meat, not the clicker, uh, which is only an internal term, so no one knows when I say the meat. They know by now. I think it's made it it enough. It's it's the meat. The Oscars, the Oscars were this past uh, Sunday, uh, and Ben, you actually reported on the ratings, which came out yesterday, and I love that you did this. You compared year-to-year ratings just to sort of showcase how far the Oscars have fallen, because I remember... When the Emmys occurred last summer, the first award show to to have to do it, uh, you know, socially distanced do it outing, the, the Emmys went from 6.9 to 6.1. A drop, sure, but not massive. And something you could probably just attribute to the general lack of people watching live television. The Oscars fell from 23.6 million to 9.85 million, more than 50%. Not quite the Golden Globes, uh, a third tumble when they went from 18 to 6.9. But it's telling that the three of us, having seen the Emmys, kept yelling at the Globes and the Oscars on what to do. And granted, they don't listen probably, and they don't care what we think, but boy. Oh, they, they listen. They, they, they listen, ignored, they just don't listen. They ignored everything we've been chanting. It is, we've been going clips, montages, clips, montages, clips. Show us why we love movies and Teeth. television. Teeth. Teeth, teeth, <laughs> and what did and what did Steven Soderbergh, Jesse Collins, and Stacey Share give us? No teeth. No teeth. <laughs> it gives a whole new meaning to the phrase. This show had no teeth. This movie had no teeth. This article had no teeth. There was this no teeth. This podcast has nothing but teeth. Then I thought you gave. All teeth, I thought baby. you. I thought you kind of gave the show the benefit of the doubt, giving it a C plus overall as a broadcast. What, what did you take away from what? Steven Soderbergh, Jesse Collins, and Stacey Scher tried to do with their their outing for the Oscars. The thing that I admired most about this Oscars is what everybody seemed to agree with at the onset, which is that it looked different. It looked unique. You absolutely, if you saw a like a picture of of like a random screenshot of the episode or of the, of the ceremony, you would know which year it came from. Like you'd know that was the 2021 Oscars. Um, and I know that like, you know, a lot of that kind of applies when you can get close enough to see like who's holding the statue or what the winner is. But like, even if you were just showing a presenter, you'd know what this is because there was a very distinct look. Um, there was a very distinct feeling. Um, obviously a lot of talk goes to the fact that he used, uh, that he used widescreen letterbox presentation, uh, that, you know, uh, except, except when they showed full screen images of the people who weren't there, like then it, then it would, it would eat into the letterbox, which I thought was strange. Well, I thought, I honestly thought that was uh, maybe not an intentional slight to the people who weren't there, but considering the, uh, the, the opinions our producers had about Zoom calls and having a Zoom ceremony, uh, it felt like, okay, we're not going to give you the cinematic, quote unquote, presentation that everybody else gets because you're you're not here. Um, but I don't know. That's pure speculation. Um, anyway, I, I really enjoyed that part of it. I love the opening Regina King striding through Union Station, taking the stage, giving a rather extended monologue, honestly, and then being cool as a cucumber when, you know, she had a minor little slip on her dress and, you know, she had to move from the stage down to the floor, like very elegant, very simple, very intimate. They established all those things beautifully. And then honestly, like I did love, I know a lot of people said it was weird, but I think it's weird good that there was daylight at this Academy Awards, that there was light streaming in through the windows, that it wasn't, you know, a movie theater-esque auditorium. It was a, 
like we're in los angeles you know we're in los angeles uh we're gonna make the most of this enjoy the look enjoy the the vibe like that worked very well for me as well so it felt uh, a lot those are my first things it felt more it, it didn't feel as static it didn't feel as cookie cutter as previous years and in that sense i enjoyed it i like that it was a different look i like that they're trying something new because boys as we have also been saying all year like this is the opportunity for award shows to mix it up to try things to fail fantastically and if the oscars did nothing else they failed fantastically um which at least they tried something you know which 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 we can't say for everything but leo I, I, I continue. Yeah. No, I, I think I think what you're saying is true. There was a lot of chatter on Slack while we we're all watching. That's like, it, this is bad, but at least it's different bad as opposed to the same bad. Well, I guess one of the ways that I would frame this is that, to me, the things that made it distinct, there were those those very clear additions to what the ceremony looked like and kind of the. I mean they weren't going to have a packed theater. So they had to kind of go with a more intimate style, you know, gathering and, and ceremony than, you know, traditional years. So they couldn't repl- try to l- replicate that, you know, previous experience. And, and that's all good. Like recognizing those things is very good. But most of the other changes to me were not the kind of big swing changes that we want to see the experimental changes that could carry over to future award shows. They were um, addition by subtraction. They were, we're not going to have a host uh, we're, we're not going to show clips. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that instead of like, we're going to take a big swing with, uh, you know, either, either, you know, a very specific kind of montage, uh, a specific way to interact with the audience, uh, which technically, yes, they did do with the little rel, uh, quiz show, uh, at the end, which, you know, funny and props to Glenn Close. She did a great job. Uh, but that coming so late in the show and that being kind of the only thing that felt like an ad, a, an addition to what was uh, otherwise a ceremony that looked exactly like the ceremonies we all attend that aren't broadcast, like the ones that, like this felt like going to the TCAs, this felt like going to the DGAs, this felt like those ceremonies where, you know, it's made for the people in the room. And, you know, a lot of people who defended it made that as their argument, but you really have to see that as a flaw because you're not making the ceremony for the people in the room. You're making the ceremony to honor the people in the room and you're building the show for people watching at home. And it felt like they forgot to build the show for people watching at home. And number one, I think I disagree with you. I, but that's a, that's a larger conversation about the state of the award show that we can kind of transition into. But also now I am thinking like, Imagine this show in this style, but with Lil Rel as the dedicated host. Does that work? Maybe. Assuming they fix. No. My biggest problem is the lack of consistency. Sometimes there would be clips. (laughs) Sometimes there would be no clips. Like, like there was just, I couldn't. And this is very particular. I think Ben, uh, Ben, did you accurately, did you accurately state that like they were only showing clips when it was. A, a feature length film they would show a clip from that so they show animated, clip, animated right. international and feature and, were the only and documentary and documentary so when they were talking about movies rather than having like the random person walk on stage and introduce the nominated film or whatever they've done in the past they did show clips for those movies they did not show clips for performers for performances and this goes back to one of the themes of the show where they're trying to focus on people and they're trying to focus on storytelling through people like through their own stories and how they experience movies and how they reach this point they tried to you know they they talked to people ahead of time and got tidbits and the presenters would talk about those tidbits and and that was their introduction for this nominee as a human being rather than this nominee as you know seen through this clip of what their work was and um i do agree with you that trying to figure that out as you're watching is jarring and leads to that kind of weird inconsistent feeling of like wait why are we doing this now and why didn't we do this then and this doesn't seem entirely natural um but it was it did seem like a very deliberate choice to do it that way uh and again like the subtraction of the clips was a problem for me uh because i i i think you got to show and not tell i still think like especially if you're thinking of this as you know we're going to make the oscars into a movie (laughs) 
Like, you got to show and not tell. Don't let them talk about all the things that are great. Just show it so people understand oh, it. Oh, I get it. So it was a C-plus ceremony. People were talking without showing. So Aaron Sorkin wrote it. Feels a lot like the Falcon and Winter Soldier finale, but we'll get to that later. Um, well. A couple of things off your point, Ben, which I think hopefully can maybe lead us on to other things. One, I think what you said was absolutely right. They, they were doing it for the people in the room as opposed to everyone watching at home, which probably leads to the ratings being so low uh, outside of other, other reasoning. But this is a commercial enterprise, sort of the, and I guess theaters are opening, but the point is to try to like boost these films profile so that more people go see these and not having clips sort of hampers that like especially for someone who's into film like me i want to see clips from the live action shorts that i haven't seen or the animated shorts that i don't know and it's like so i can maybe go like oh i want to seek that out now that i saw that you know minute long clip and then second I totally get the idea of like doing stories because we're in this, we want to try to do something new. We're socially distanced. We can't do our normal ceremony. Why not film some of that stuff beforehand? Why not have the, why not? I, I, I know they have a ton of money at their disposal. Why not go film little mini docs for Thomas Vinterberg or Darius Martyr? Like instead of having Laura Dern awkwardly state those facts about them or whoever it was, like about everyone, just, just have a little a mini little reel about like here's the story of the five directors here's the story of the five actors uh if you're not going to show clips we talked a little bit about the good side of this at the start of you know before we started recording but this to me was never more apparent than when bong shun ho showed up to present best director and he did this great little intro where you know he was standing in a theater in seoul and and uh, like he said his part and then they moved to his translator. Um, and as they, like, as the camera panned over, you know, Bong disappeared and he basically just walked behind the camera to show up on the other side just for fun. And it was like, oh, look at Bong having fun. This is so cute. I love this. I'm into it. But the, the framing of that introduction was that he asked all the director nominees, if you have to explain to a random kid on the street in 20 seconds, what would you say? And then instead of actually cutting to the directors like giving the answer themselves bong read their answers while they showed like photos of them working and one it was awkward because there's like a there's a name on the screen of the person who they're talking about there's the movie there's the pictures in the background and then there's the subtitles of bong saying what he said so you have to kind of process all of this information as you're watching it and it's harder to process process that information in that manner when it's being told to you rather than you know shown to you or or given to you by the person who's answering it like it just seemed like especially when he said you know you have to do it in 20 seconds or less it's like okay they did this perfectly like you're giving them a 20 second real let them say it we'll hear them say it we'll appreciate it it'll be good and even that they were they refused to do they they were like no 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 we have to do it all live we have to do it all our way in-house and that was a, a handicap that they they couldn't survive they put on themselves and I, I i do have to say like i i liked the ceremony at the beginning but by the end of the three hours i was pissed and like i just i was over all of it and and part of that was because of the fumbles in the last half hour of the ceremony um they had made another gamble they did not have best picture last because there was kind of a low-key expectation that chadwick boseman would be winning best actor uh posthumously so they awarded best actor last and then chadwick boseman didn't win and more than not winning anthony hopkins won and Anthony Hopkins wasn't there because he's an 80-something-year-old man and the producers wanted him to travel in Europe to either uh, London or Dublin to uh, give a speech. And he politely declined because he already has an Oscar and fuck you, why should he have to do anything? He's a fucking knight. Um, and he's literally the oldest acting winner in academy history now yeah. and they were asking him to do this during a pandemic yeah. so yes it, it it was it was ageist like uh, honestly like that's just not a that's not a reason and it's very strange to want to do something like a movie and then refuse to tape anything um movies aren't actually live is yeah. the thing uh that's television um <clears throat> anyway hey steven uh, soderbergh knows a little bit about television very little 
Um, it does know so mm-hmm, much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, and this, uh, this was I a had, this is no. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, I I I liked it because it was a version of the future that I could see. It was very similar to maybe like the SAGs. Uh, that was very it. It wasn't as pared down as the SAGs, but like at some point, these award shows are going to go back to being about only appealing to the industry because that's where we're at we i don't think we can continue to expect these bombastic blowout affairs like the 1997 oscars or or, you know whatever there's we don't have that monoculture anymore and are better for it i want people to see the oscars and not have seen the movies (laughs) To go look at the Oscar winners and be like, oh, I should seek all of those out because it's not, you know, Batman or or Iron Man or, yeah. or whatever. And the more diverse the storytelling becomes, the more movies there are out there, the more TV there is out there, the 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 more scattered shot the awards are going to be. Like, we have been seeing this for years. It's not just the pandemic. Ratings are down every year for everything across the board, including the Super Bowl. Like... This is just where we're headed, and they're going to have to adapt. And I think the Oscars were the worst possible adaptation of that. But I mean, it's something. It broke some kind of template, sort of. Um, they tried it, they failed, but they tried it. And long live the Emmys. Yeah. I think it's worth saying that, like you mentioned, making choices when it comes to how you want your award show to feel to look like to um to to be shaped by like you know finding themes and finding uh you know aesthetics that work for you is very important that's a great first step and moving forward i think that's exactly what people should do it's just that with this example (laughs) they they seem to stop at those decisions they didn't seem to think okay once we've made these decisions, where are we willing to adapt because of the situations and because of, you know, this might happen or that might happen. Um, but yeah, like the, I, I would just, I would like to see more award shows uh, at least have a, a clear sense of self uh, when they decide what they're going to do with them. Um, I, they, they just have, they really have so little time to make an imprint. Um, they're going to give out 22 awards at the, nice. at the Emmys. They're going to give out 28 awards or whatever three it is. Three plus hours, but yeah. Right. It's well, it's it's three plus hours. But even if you spent if you spent 10 minutes on each award, like talking about the nominees, letting them have their speech, a walk up, like all of it, that's which I'm isn't an insane idea. Then you're down to like 20 minutes on your own. Like then you're down to having you know less than that. You're out of time. But um, that's the thing. Like you have to find pretty clever ways to leave your mark and to to choose how you want to to distinguish this show and to make it special. And I don't think that like last year having Eminem just randomly drop in for a oh my lose God. yourself whatever is is the way to go. I don't think building it around musical performances especially of the nominees is the way to go even though I missed seeing them at this year's ceremony. Um I think you have to come up with ways like Soderbergh tried to do of saying like this is a style choice this is something you're only going to see this year this is something that you have to watch live and you can't also completely rely on the winners like you can't just say well you want to see it because you want to see if so-and-so wins that's that's historically not why people watch the Oscars to begin with so I just I'd like to see them think these things through a little bit more uh but this was the right first step they just have to take more steps next time and I also I think what I think what ultimately bothered me and why that last half hour bothered me is that they were so uncompromising. They had set some standards early and refused to back down on them. And that was, it wasn't okay because seven months ago, seven months ago, we saw the Emmys handle giving out 20 some awards and everyone got to give their speech. Um, They figured it out when we were in the heart of the pandemic. There were ways to do that. And yeah, you can look down on Zoom and you can look down on those award shows that heavily relied on Zoom. God knows that we have on this podcast, but there are better ways. You're the Oscars. You have all of the money in the world. You could have had 
a film crew sitting outside uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins' house, just chilling, just in case, like just just on the off chance that he wins fucking best actor and becomes the oldest Oscar winner ever. Uh, but you didn't because you didn't want to. And that's that's not good. That's not good production. Um, I don't know. It's it's uh, there. there is a deafness there um, to the situation that that the rest of us are living in. Well, I there was a, I, I would argue and this might be too inside baseball, but like there was a tone deafness to all of it, especially like here in L.A. when like the homeless who were encamped in Union Station are like booted out of there so that the Oscars can be held. This like incredibly uh, ornate uh, event to celebrate people who, for the most part, not all, but for the most part, are all in- incredibly well to do and well off. Uh, the hard line, no zooms, you got to get to. Well, then they soften to like you got to get to one of our hubs and we can shoot you, you know, remotely there. To your point, Libby, like at a certain point, a week out from from the event, knowing I don't know when they made the decision to switch the order of the awards, which is which has been most of the talking uh, post show, not having best picture go last, switching it, presumably thinking that Chadwick Boseman was going to win uh, so that his his widow could give a speech at the very end to sort of like this is what this award was all about when there was a 50 50 chance that Anthony Hopkins potentially wins not having a film, not being prepared for that eventuality to just have the, the show end with a what just happened? Because it felt like that in the room. It felt like that everywhere. Cause I think everyone was, they assumed the order was switched because someone knows something. No one looked at an envelope. Price Waterhouse Coopers did their job. Uh, no one, no one got a single, a this single time. glimpse. Yeah. They did their job this, this time. No one got a glimpse to know, to figure out how the order should be, should be arranged. It was baffling. And I think this gets back to my earlier part about clips. You got a lot of people online going, you know, Chadwick was robbed because a lot of people haven't seen the father and don't know that the father is good. And that Anthony Hopkins is very good in it. And because you don't get to see any of that throughout the show, there's this awful taste in a lot of viewers' mouths like, this was, this was bad. This is bad. This is a bad show. Because this thing happened. This is how the show ended. Um, that's just me. That's my rude man take on the Oscars. I also think ha- Joaquin Phoenix being up there is the worst possible thing. <laughs> He's the worst possible person to be up there when things kind of go sideways. Because... Uh, yeah, I mean, this goes back to to kind of the original point of them just not following through on certain things to me, to me, because I don't necessarily have a problem with them moving Best Picture up. I, I didn't have a problem with the category like reorganization in and of itself, but there were so many elements that combined to make it feel like they were that they were dismissive of a person they really wanted to honor Uh that it left an ugly taste in your mouth. And it also, you know, like, like I mentioned in the review from a strictly Academy standpoint, from a non telecast standpoint, the, the ceremony's choice, the voters choice to, to reward Anthony Hopkins over Chadwick Boseman was a big reminder that this has historically happened far too often, that they are too dismissive of black creators and black leads. And it's, you know, as people have pointed out, there's a reason that a lot of black performers have gone into the supporting categories because they feel like they have a better chance of winning there, um, or at least being taken seriously there, uh, you know, compared to some of the other elites in the industry. Um, and I, I, you know, all of that is a bad way to leave things when you're the film academy. That that doesn't look good. But from a production standpoint, that idea paired with the really speedy in memoriam segment, which in and of itself, I didn't mind that much. Like it was a little quick in the middle. Don't get me wrong. There was a lot of names they were getting through, but having an upbeat music choice and not, you know, making it such a mournful, sad, like sad, sorrowful thing to sit through this and make it more of a like, hey, hey, let's remember the good about these people. Let's remember how great they were and what they contributed to us and like every like all of that is the right idea. And I think that's what they wanted to do 
at the end with Chadwick, they were hoping to have a way to send people out, not on a low, not on a mournful note of, of watching someone cry or watching someone mourn the loss, but of celebrating, you know, a person's life over a movie. Like rather than best picture, they're like, we're going to celebrate an individual and all that he brought to our community in Hollywood as, as an industry. And if they would have just, if they would have had a host who could have spoken to that when it didn't happen, if they would have had uh, a prepared montage or, or, or something, you know, pre-recorded that they either aired earlier in the ceremony within memoriam segment, or they aired then at the end, just saying, listen, no matter what we wanted to honor this person uh, who we lost too soon, if they would have made those choices that they just didn't prepare to make, uh, it would have been better. And like, like you mentioned, if they would have let Anthony Hopkins actually speak, then he would have found a graceful way to do it. It's Anthony Hopkins. He would have found a graceful way to end that show. And it wouldn't have been great. Like the other problems within the Academy would have still existed, but it wouldn't have been as bad as it was. And that's the best you can hope for when you're the producers of the show. You want to, you want the, the people at home to have a positive experience and to be attached to movies and to celebrate them and to celebrate the people who made them, which was always the intent of what they were trying to do. And the infuriating aspect was that they didn't follow through on it enough. I'm just sad about Chadwick again, you guys. Like, yeah. really emotional right now. I mean, anyway, it's hard to make good TV, apparently. It's hard to make it good is. TV. It is. That's a segue, Libby, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add one more thing. For all that they wanted to change, for all the cinema the cinematic things they want to do, it's crazy how many things stayed the same. I think, like, that's what was... That's what irked me. But speaking of bad TV... (laughs) Very nice. uh, Seamless. I should say, but speaking of TV being hard, good TV being hard to make, Ben, you allowed me to review this past season. I say past season, like there's going to be multiple, maybe, of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about it because it ended on Friday. Um, and, you know, the world was, was a flutter with, uh, you know, Sam and his Captain America suit made by the Wakandans. And, there, and then the news that there's going to be a Captain America 4 movie. And I wanted a chance to sort of talk, talk through that show the same way we talked through WandaVision uh, with you guys uh, having reviewed it. Marvel's bad at ending shows. <laughs> Let's they don't there. end shows. Well, that's they the don't thing. end anything. I think it's. I think it's both those things are true. And I think what I took away from Falcon and Winter Soldier, and I sort of said the same thing for WandaVision when WandaVision ended. And I know Ben, tongue in cheek, said this about several of the Marvel properties in the MCU. But it's like it's not required. This was. This is not required. If if there was a Captain America four, and and Sam had the Captain America suit that he shows up with at the end of the series. And we didn't have the Falcon and Winter Soldier. No one would bat an eyelash. It'd be like, well, he's Captain America now. Captain America gave him the shield. Like, we we would fill in the we would fill in the blanks ourselves by the time he's like, oh, he's Captain America. Yeah, that makes sense. We don't need. We didn't need this story. So then then it becomes, why are we telling this story? And I think this is where the show kind of let itself down. It obviously was trying to tell this grand story about institutional racism about generational trauma about what it means to be a black captain america in 2023 in the mcu verse that's the year it is there it's so fucking oh, wow weird. they're ahead I of us i actually realize that but that's but but the idea being it had these grand topics that that it wanted to tackle and it did but it did so much in the same way you were talking about the oscars ben it did so in a let me tell you and not show you way the, the amount of the show talking about itself to its audience, it was difficult for even someone who's a quote unquote fan like myself to take and not sort of judge and be like, I agree with everything you're trying to say, but I just, I can't stand the way you're, you're going about saying it. Well, I mean, to, to briefly speak to this point, because uh, I, I bow to you and Libby when it comes to Marvel, uh, if not everything, um, I think my problem with the way they've handled their first two tv shows for disney plus that is um is that it it is exactly what you say and that there is not enough there there there's not enough substance to this because that's the way it's built it's built to be able to be skipped it's like if this is something that you decided you didn't want to see if you just want to watch the movies that's okay like we're gonna move past that and what television requires for for substance to me I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can do it nowadays, but at, at its core, 
it comes down to the characters. And with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, as you pointed out so many times and so correctly in your reviews, uh, the two lead characters were not given enough time because Marvel prioritizes expansion. They want to make sure that they can build outward and build onward more than they can look inward. And this was something that I noticed in WandaVision that bugged me as well. I would have rather spent a good half of that series with Wanda and her pain, and that is not something that they were willing to do. They had to hide it and turn it into a secret, and then we got maybe an episode with it toward the end. Um, and with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, it's it's similar. Like we, The shortcut to it is we're going to tell you and not show you. We're going to make it all literal. And that, to me, is a lot harder to identify with because, one, I, I mean, I've just been watching too much TV at this point, and I see what they're doing, so it's harder for me to connect with it. Uh, but two, like you want to, you know, spend time with them. You want to invest in them as people like you do with everybody else in your life uh, who's spending time in your home uh, by just just having that time with them and seeing them, you know, live their life and be themselves and, and form those connections and have those experiences and share in those experiences with them as opposed to being told about them in a very matter of frank way. So or matter of fact way. Um, so yeah, that's, those are, those are kind of my twofold problems, uh, in big, broad, broad terms with the MCU so far. I think I agree with both of you. And what I realized as I was waiting to speak, uh, Marvel's at making TV. They were making, well, shut up. I was, I was I feel like researching. Such a dick. <laughs> no, I'm so tired. Then I, I say something. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> we're all just waiting for our turn to talk. Like, no one's actually listening. I've been married a long time. Can you tell? Um, Marvel's not making TV shows, they're making uh, old school web series. Uh, like when television shows used to make. Uh, little minisodes that they would air exclusively online and if you were really anxious to see more Lost between seasons three and four you would go online and watch these three minute clips and it would give you more information and sort of uh, fill in backstory that you wouldn't need to watch the actual series but might enhance your experience uh, that's what the Marvel TV shows are so far they are extraneous content uh, that you don't need to continue enjoying your Marvel Cinematic Universe. But if you're interested, if you would like uh, more information on the Captain America, it can be found on Disney Plus uh, in the form of this collection of extra long minisodes. And um, and yeah, it's, it's just... Uh, <laughs> I've never seen an, an outlet put or this much money and effort into minisodes, but um, they have. And at some point, it's going to be less about if something's competing as limited series or if something's competing as drama dramatic series and more about are these television series uh, whatsoever or are these uh, really long commercials for upcoming movies. And... It bums me out, like extremely, as a as a fan of the the Marvel stuff. It I I don't want it to just be filler. Uh, I don't want it to just be behind the scenes footage. I don't want it to be stuff that you would find as a DVD extra. Um, I want them to justify their own existence, and the performances are so good. Like no one informed the performers that this is not yeah. uh, real stuff. Um, they are giving 110% in opportunities that they've never had for their characters. So it, it's 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 actually insulting that uh, the writing isn't better, that the structure isn't better, that the the fucking fights aren't better. I was so struck by how boring that finale was. Uh, and then when I thought it couldn't get any more boring, Sam gave a five minute speech uh, in the middle of a city street disaster area. And like, I don't know what to do with that. I, I mean, nothing he said was wrong and it was all very PSA important. Um, but it wasn't real. Yeah. None of it was was real. It didn't come from a, a real place. At least the villains I understood. Like Carly and the the truth seeker. I don't remember. 
the um the, fl- the terrorists flag smashers flag smashers no um, more nations no one more world nations. one people understood where they were coming from and honestly if this show had been exclusively about the i mean if it was the anti-leftovers if it was about everyone coming back yeah. after having mysteriously disappeared that would have been 10,000 times the series that this was and again i know i'm not supposed to judge a series based on what i want it to be but in this case it's almost impossible uh so yeah i don't talk about this because it actually makes me very angry i've tried to like specifically not think about this series as much as possible since it ended trust me i'm i'm with you i uh as someone who is a huge fan of the mcu i've i've wanted wandavision and the falcon and winter soldier to be both be very good and i think you you talked about something that i think is uh is right on the money is that like all the performances for the most part are great from especially all the leads and it, it, the shows are doing a disservice to them because they are sort of acting as filler between films, which, I, as Ben would tongue-in-cheek say, aren't all the films doing that between the big films, which I guess is true to some, to some extent. But you need to have a reason for the show existing. And I think, like, these are just so empty when there's a chance to be something more. Give us, give us eight episodes of Wanda dealing with her grief. Like, we, we got, like, these snippets toward the, toward the back end. And, and I think you just want to see more of that. Give us fucking Falcon and Winter Soldier hanging around and palling around and doing... At the risk of sounding like I'm giving notes to be less original. Use the references that have come before you in the buddy cop genre. Use the references that have come before you in like the psychological trauma genre. And build your shows around those tentpoles. Have it be a television show. Do you have any idea how much money I would pay to see a Bucky Barnes season of In Treatment? Like, I would, all of it, just take all of my money. It's not that much, but you can have it all. And you can have all of the rest of my money for the rest of my days, because that is something I haven't seen. And I think that Sebastian Stan can handle it. And I think that's an interesting, it goes beyond just uh, the traumas of PTSD and and the military, which is what they were trying to explore with John Taylor. Walker. walker but bucky is something completely different uh being turned into an actual weapon like the iron giant uh is 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 something completely different and i i would love to see the exploration of that and then you can always have flashbacks you can have him in winter soldier mold or or whatever but if people watched studied TV as much they as they wanted us to believe they had when they created WandaVision, then they would know how to make their television shows better. Yeah, and I think the same the same can be said about the Falcon and Winter Soldier. I, I think so, something something that I don't even think I referenced in the in the review, but I think is telling as to how you know Kevin Feige and Mark Malcolm Spellman thought of it. They they kept saying it was a six hour movie, which I think we have to like banish that that phrase like anyone who's making television shouldn't say that because what happened over the course of this series uh any loose threads however short shrift they got through over the course of the six episodes like the flag smasher plot uh they were all tied up by the end of the six episodes like the the, nothing was sort of like lingering out there uh except for the one big like hey here's your spinoff here's your here's your post credit here's you're going to see more of her later, like a, a purposeful loose thread thread. Like, it's not like, oh, maybe some of this stuff will, will bubble back up. Some of this stuff wasn't that important, but maybe it'll play play into future future episodes or future movies. Um, it was it was done to be self-contained so that if you did miss it, Captain America four starts and you're like, I remember Cap gave Sam the shield and he is Captain America. You're absolutely right. So why not have hey. fun with the show? Why not have it be Bucky and Sam? I, I, again, I feel like I'm... Why not have that be the show? Why make it like a six-hour movie? And why not try something? Give WandaVision credit for at least trying something. Yes, they were just playing at a pastiche of what television was like. But they tried something. Have fun with the show! Well, now I'm... 
now I'm thinking about the interview that Ben did with uh, someone inside Marvel or Disney Plus about how they decided to put Falcon and Winter Soldier in drama series instead of limited series. And they said, and I thought this was such a strange way to phrase it. They said, we watched it and it was way more dramatic than anything else we've ever done. And I think they meant literally like it was there was there was a lot of hard drama like maybe it wasn't as funny as they expected and i wanted to be like well that's your fault first of all but second of all it also didn't feel it it felt not like a season of television to the extent that if they came back with the series what does a season two look like like it can't look anything like the first season because that would be bananas like it well, the first season doesn't. I don't know, and not that not that all shows need formulas per se, but like there's no formula. It is it is it is a narrative that's stretched out over the course of however many episodes they want to be stretched out over. It's a movie. Pre- presu- presumably, there'd be some new threat that Captain America and we got to change his name so he's not the Winter Soldier anymore can go uh, can go solve it, or it's or it's just the adventures of uh, Julie Julie Louis Dreyfus and uh, John Walker. That's not a second season. (laughs) That's a sequel. Which is how uh, Nate Moore defined WandaVision. It was that they wouldn't have uh, an opportunity. There wasn't a clear path forward with WandaVision, which is why it had to be a limited series. Uh, And any sort of follow-up, if they they ever did one, uh, would just be a completely new show. Uh, It'd be a sequel, so... And again, not to throw throw your Bucky Bucky Barnes and Treatment idea in in the bin, Libby, but like... That that is episodic in a way that works. The the well, the the lethal weaponization of a Falcon and, and Winter Soldier also would have worked. Here's the but they got to solve a crime in episode. Let's go see him do it. I still think their biggest problem moving forward with the season two is just the title. Like they'd have to retitle it. Like the with both of them having shifted over to new heroic personas, uh, the original title would be some sort of weird throwback that doesn't really apply. But otherwise, I think they could they could very easily model this with a slight revision uh, toward Leo's wishes and, and yeah. make it into a show that works just fine. But here's here's my question for both. How do of you, I end up in I, the writers' I, room I, for the Falcon and Winter Soldier season two? And I'll just I'll just pitch what we should be doing with this show. Well, that's it's one person, uh, so I guess you go to his house. I, do, I have no idea. Malcolm, yeah, let me in. <laughs> Um, I've been vexed. <laughs> they, they've the, the MCU people, the Disney Plus people, they've made it pretty clear that like this is their first foray into TV, and they're a little green, and they're still figuring it out. And they were um, kind of surprised by like the, the 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 room that they had to play with characters once they started writing TV shows. Which you know, okay, sure, whatever. Taking that, uh, taking them at their word. If they figure out how to make TV, wouldn't this be the perfect time to do it well? Like, they are transitioning into a new phase. I don't even know if it's a phase anymore of the MCU. Uh, They are trying to introduce a lot of new heroes. They're saying goodbye to old heroes. If they could invest in character in a way that solidified audiences' relationships with these new characters... Wouldn't that really make it difficult to not love and be like force yourself to go to every single movie that they were in? Like, wouldn't this be the perfect opportunity, really, to introduce these new characters to people who already are prone to like them, but now could really fall in love with them? And we are getting there. I mean, we there's a uh, um, a Supergirl. It's the Kamala Khan show oh, coming? Uh, uh, Miss Marvel? Yes, Miss Marvel. That, not to, isn't that a show that's yeah, coming? Yeah, not to, not to be confused with Captain Marvel. No. It's a, yeah, it's why a, would that be confusing? So, in me. the comic books, <laughs> she is a fan of Captain Marvel. And she's, like, at least in some iterations, she's a huge nerd of the MCU who then gets superpowers... And when she's coming up with a name for herself, she borrows the moniker of her favorite superhero. She's a teen, Ben. Like, Jesus. 
Representation. Teen girls right. matter. Also, I can't wait. Teen, you teen. dumb dick. Here's the thing. <laughs> you know how you know how in the bag I am for the MCU? I would watch Agent Carter season three with oh, Emily Van dude, Camp. Dude, dude, dude. I would. No. I would. I would. How is that not just a wait? Also, how is that not just a revenge slash Agent Carter? <laughs> it, prob- it probably is ABC that. opportunity. I mean, if you. I mean, Andy McDowd. Dowell needs. Work. Yeah. Let's be real. You got Julie Louis Dreyfus. You got uh, Wyatt Russell. Uh, who else? Baron von Zemo. Bring them all back. Get them back. I like that. I used two real names no. and one fake name. Sorry. Yeah, you did. Sorry, Daniel Brule. The last time I saw Andy McDowell was in a little show called Mr. Mr. Mayor of Easttown. There it is. Segway. <laughs> Segway. So let's talk about a TV show that we are all excited about. Because I think Libby and I were excited about the Falcon and Winter Soldier. Ben just had to had to watch to try to keep up with my reviews to make sure I wasn't a lunatic just raving into the ether. Wait, I'm sorry. One second. Ben, did you ever watch the finale? God damn Absolutely it. not. I watched well, parts I mean, of it, and I, then I kind of like no. skipped forward. And then I we're just done talking stopped. to you now. Uh, okay. So, Mayor of Easttown, episode two, aired this past Sunday. I, wa- I watched post Oscars, and it was a great uh, aperitif after the Oscars to be like, "Oh, television is good. <laughs> television can be good." You know, it's interesting that you say you watched it after the Oscars, Leo, because according to HBO slash Warner Media. Uh, the second episode of Mayor of Easttown saw a 20 to 25% gain in viewership from its premiere, which is somewhat rare to see, you know, it immediately kind of take that spike as opposed to like, once they get to the finale, it's risen uh, considerably. So, and you would think maybe everybody did what you did. Most people after watching the Oscars would have hopped onto one of the synergistic uh, enterprises that ABC was pumping through, uh, through the commercials. Mm no 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 they were like i want good as tv far away as i'm possible. going to hbo i do i i do think a 20 to 25 percent jump is very much like what the fuck kate winslet has a television show and no one told me um yeah i'm i'm i don't think it's a secret i'm on board right now i know i know libby you have you have teased that that episode five might be like the the linchpin that sort of takes it from your typical crime procedural it is what i will say about mary of town no spoilers is that it it's it's kate winslet like you're watching it because of kate winslet and kate winslet's performance and um and gene smart and gene smart and and julianne nicholson uh you watch for the performances and the crime stuff is what it is but this is a character piece and um and I don't think you'll regret going on that journey because it's Kate Winslet. So that's what I'll say. But yeah, uh, episode was was until very recently, like the best TV episode I'd seen in, a, in quite a while. So, yeah. Leo, let's let's talk a little bit about episode two, which did see a 25 percent jump to one point two million viewers, a.k.a. more than 10 percent of the Oscars telecast audience. Uh, so again, kudos to, to Kate Winslet. Um, episode two, the murder has been committed. The body has been found. The teens are being interviewed. Um, who do you think did it? Who do I think did it? Yeah. Well, I know who I, I, I knew who didn't do it. Oh, okay, great. I knew it wasn't obviously the, the father of her child. I knew that, like the kid. Well, then, then there's also something that happens at the end of the episode. So, uh, with him, right now the way the show is, the show is definitely pointing you in the direction of either her uncle or her cousin, her second cousin. I don't know how that works. The cousin of the father, the cousin of her father, and or the de- one of the deacons. Yeah. And or Mayor's ex-husband. Those are the, those are the three. A lot of bad men. Yeah. So many bad men TM in this town, like ben, no joke. But I'm still good women, though. Ben, can I tell you something? Stick it yeah. with my gut. Guy Pierce did it. Oh man, too big. Love a, it. All right, too big a name. Too big a name. Not to have done it. He's gotta be did, the big bad. Gotta be. I the did big not bad. talk this over with my colleagues before the podcast started, but I think we have to institute a weekly segment 
where Leo <laughs> updates his prediction as to who the murderer is on Mayor of Easttown. We'll totally, I it's will totally the, get get a, get a list. Power rankings. The murder <laughs> power it's, rankings. It is a show that, as you can already tell through two episodes, introduces so many like question marks, so many loose threads, so many things to be tugged on to try to put this thing together um, that it's kind of hard to keep your hands around it. And I think, the again, the weekly release is going to be invaluable, as it often is for so many of these dense HBO shows. Uh, and it'll, it will, I think, help people kind of put things together and remind themselves of like exactly what Leo is doing, where it's like, I'm sorry, the cousin of the guy, like they're brothers, and then they're, I think he's related. I don't know. It, it, the guy, that guy, the guy over there you'll eventually become to know them a little bit better and a little bit easier because of the weekly rollout. Um, and with that very much in mind and having watched five episodes in like two or three days, I think um, getting to experience it again with Leo will be nice. And then we can update uh, his thoughts and get uh, so, his expert, non-expert Rube man yeah. predictions. Here's the Rube man top five. We'll rank them up from five to one. <laughs> Number five. I'm going to go with Evan Peters as Colin Zabel. I think the mm. fact that he solved that murder in that other town is suspicious. suspicious. I think he only did he only did that because he's the one who did the murder. It's very easy to plant evidence <laughs> when you when you have the murder evidence. Number 4, I'm going to go with David Denman as Frank Sheehan. Uh, I think that's too too on the nose for Mayor's ex-husband to be the person. I think he probably did some bad man TM stuff, but I don't mm. think he did the killing. Number three, let's go with Deacon Mark Burton. That's the uh, the, uh, the priest we're introduced to in uh, in episode two. Uh, he'll be number three spot. I just think he's doing something. He's up to no good. I think there's some scenes from next week that showcase that maybe he is dumping something in a river, maybe. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know the scenes that they're showing, but that's yeah, interesting. They, they show that. I don't know. If, and here's the thing. They cut stuff so that you can't really tell what, what is happening. Of but course. I think that's what's happening. Two would be, I, I don't know. I never trust what, a priest on TV. Don't know the name, well, which bolds which bolds badly for this character being potentially the killer, is the cousin the cousin of the dad of the girl who was murdered. So he's, he's the one. Yeah, Billy. Yeah, I really think his name is Billy. Okay, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take notes. I'll take notes this, this week. And then number one, with I'll the send bullet. you a character guide. Number one with the bullet, Guy Pierce, uh, Richard Ryan, the author. He's given Mayor short shrift at this party that that he invited her to, and then yeah. he expects to co- he expects her to come back in. I'm just not. Rough. I'm just not for that guy. Like I just I don't I don't buy him. If if he's Did not a not murderer, he's Mildred just a Pierce? bad date. Bad date. <laughs> Guys, dark dark horse number six. Could it be Mayor? Could it be Mayor? Did Mayor did it and she doesn't remember? Could She's it be Mayor? fucking alcoholic, she man. Remember. Yeah, she had a few too many rolling rocks and then an extra yingling right before she left the bar. Blacked well, it would have been she after she had sex with Guy Pierce. Literally. She's literally driving drunk wherever she goes. Millions of Screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation IndieWire. Theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video, Bjork Talking Matter TV, and Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brightson. Our publisher is James Israel. And our executive editor is Ann Donahue. Uh, this week's episode is brought to you by teeth of all kinds. Uh, we got molars, incisors, and what the hell not, let's say wisdom teeth. Some people oh. like them. Some people keep them. Some people Iron get rid limb. of them. Millions of Screens highly endorses calling them chompers. Jampas. Yeah. You can find us on Twitter at a million screens at Midwest Spitfire at Ben T. Travers and at Leo Adrian Garcia. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, so leave a review and let us know what you think. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo. Remind you as always that you should call them Chompers. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs>